What's up, everybody? It's me. It's Kevin. Welcome to this episode of the Life of Riley podcast. This is a good one, guys. This is the potential lost episode. I literally thought this thing was gone. Uh, I recorded this back in January, and I literally, every time I went to look for it, I couldn't find it. I thought it was gone. And uh, when, when I went to edit the last episode with Evan, I just happened to notice that when I saved it before rendering it, it was not saving to the proper folder. It was saving to this other folder. And I was like, wait, what's up with that? So I changed it saved it to the right folder kept on working but luckily I thought about it later and I went back and and checked the folder that the default had been switched to and dun da 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 I found the Olivier Blanchard recording so here we are next episode um I'm super stoked uh, cause this was a, this was a conversation that I had, had been wanting to have for a really long time, actually had it and then thought I had lost it. And so now I'm able to share it with you. My guest for this episode is Olivier Blanchard. Uh, he was born in France. He is now a brand management digital marketing consultant and the author of three best-selling books. He's also an acclaimed keynote speaker. He's worked with companies of all sizes. Some of them include Microsoft, IBM, Cisco, Dell, Raytheon, the CDC, the University of North Carolina, Clemson University, Loyola University, Adobe, Verizon, General Mills. The list goes on and on. He holds an international baccalaureate degree from the International School of Brussels and a BA in political science from Furman University. He is also a decorated veteran of the French Navy Marines. I tried really hard to figure out how to pronounce the way that that is said in French, but I'm not even going to try and do it on recording. Um, but so he's a vet, you guys, he currently works on assignment all over the world, but his home base for the last 20 years has been Greenville, South Carolina. I became acquainted with Olivier as seems to happen more and more often these days via Facebook. And he's kind of become an almost constant presence on my newsfeed since we friended and i'll be super honest most people who become an almost constant presence on my facebook newsfeed usually end up being removed from my newsfeed not defriended i just take them off because people that post that much are usually a little much especially if they post lots of political stuff, come off as activists, or just can't help but share their opinion on like everything. 
I know there are some friends of mine that are going to be like, that sounds like you. Um, and But Olivier meets all of those, but I'm never scared to go check out his posts. And I'll tell you why. It's not because he and I like walk in lockstep on every detail of every issue because we don't. I value his contributions to Facebook because he's reasonable and thoughtful. And I mean that in a very sort of definitive way. He uses reason and thought to support his opinions and, and to make his points rather than emotion or anything. He, he's like, he spells things out. And that might be enough. But what makes it even better is that most of the people who comment on his threads are also like that. They don't all agree with him. It's not a super agreement fest, right? But people are reasonable and thoughtful and willing to listen for the most part. And those that aren't get shut down pretty quickly, but not in a super shitty trolly kind of a way, um, which I like. We've been hoping to have Olivier on for a long time. So this felt like a coup. And again, I'm super stoked that I was able to find the recording. It was recorded previous to um, the Evan Cecil episode, but I thought I'd lost it. Didn't know what to do about it. Found it. Super stoked. So here we go. Um, the funny thing is this recording almost didn't happen either. Because he only had, Olivier only had a brief amount of time on the afternoon, on the day that we were, that we were going to record. And then we ran into some issues with his Skype connection and this and that. And so by the time we actually started talking, he only had about 50 minutes to an hour um, before he had something else that he had to, to get to. Um, so rather than start off with the typical pleasantries that I might or, or whatever, the introducing him, that's why I'm sort of giving you his CV here in the intro. Um, we just jumped right in and started having a conversation. And the, <clears throat> the funniest thing, which maybe I'll talk about at the end, is the way that he reacted when, when, we were done, when, when he ran out of time i'm gonna let you guys wait and see that and see if you catch it too because i really appreciated it um we had a great conversation it is my sincere desire uh to have him on the show again and i hope i hope we can make that happen and without further blather from me let's get into my conversation with olivier blanchard All right, cool. Nice to nice to meet you face to face. Yeah, sort same of. here. Been trying to make this happen for a while now. Yeah, <laughs> that's just what happens. Yeah, exactly. Get there eventually. Yeah, I mean, one of the funniest things is when I was um, when we were chatting the other day, and I was like, 
So, how thick is your accent anyway? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, don't really have yeah. <laughs> You tell me. Yeah, no. Well, it's funny because I went and looked at one of your YouTube videos a little earlier. And I was like, oh, yeah, he does sound yeah. like a like a like just a, an American or whatever. Yeah. Every, every once in a while, you can, you can hear it. Like some, I'll pronounce something a little weird. But uh, yeah, for the most part, people don't notice it. Yeah. How long have you been in the States? I mean, on and off. A little over 30 years. Uh, I moved here permanently in 94. So it's, okay. yeah, but, but I, I went to college here. So that's four years. And then I used to kind of come back and forth for okay. vacation and stuff. So, okay. And you grew yeah, up in Paris? An ongoing project for a long time. There you go. And you grew up in Paris. Is that right? I did. Yeah. I did. I, I grew up in Paris. Uh, and then my, my teens were actually in, uh, in Brussels. We moved, um, there was a there was a government change that was going to be um, detrimental to uh, to my family's income because of, of new tax laws. So we, uh-huh. we kind of expatriated ourselves to uh, to Belgium, and uh, which was good because that's that's where I I matriculated with a, a international school and started speaking or learning English um, oh, okay. all day long, as opposed to having like one English class, like you guys have French class. Mm-hmm. The entire curriculum was in English, so I had to adapt kind of quickly. And- oh, wow, yeah. I have a, um, a cousin who's much, much younger than me, um, and I think she's just getting, I think she's getting ready to go to high school. Um, next year, I think she's a freshman, but when she was in elementary school, um, my aunt and uncle sent her to an Italian immersion school. They live down in L.A., and um, it was it was crazy because she was like eight years old and I was at their house for her birthday. I was staying in L.A. for a while and she had friends from her school and some of the friends were American born and some of them were Italian born. And it was the strangest thing because she would speak to the Italian kids in, in, in Italian and the American kids yeah. in English. And then I would ask her how to say something in Italian and she couldn't tell me because it yeah. was, she just thought in Italian. Like yeah. she didn't translate the words when she spoke Italian. It was fascinating to me. I can, I can kind of relate to that. Yeah. Um, and well, yeah, especially with a, a, an international student body. So when it's just, it's purely bilingual, right? Like you're like, it's a French school and it's just a bunch of French kids. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of, you know, get that dynamic when, um, when the school is more international, so you have, you know, Americans, Canadians, Brits, and then you have like French and German, and you've got your Scandinavian block, and you've got like your Japanese kids and your Chinese kids, and it's just like it's from all over the world. Then it gets like super weird because you'll walk in on a conversation, and it's it's just like this made up language where uh-huh. you know the the sent like in one sentence you will go from French to Spanish to German back to English before the sentence is over. Wow. And everybody kind of understands. Um, uh, yeah, it's weird. That's similar to, I knew, uh, I played samba music briefly in my early 20s, and we had uh, dancers that were Brazilian and um, a couple that were uh, from Puerto Rico. And so obviously the Brazilian spoke Portuguese and the Puerto yeah. Rican spoke Spanish. And you would listen to them talk, and it's sort of the same. And I would go, wait, that's a Portuguese word. 
And that's just, what are you guys speaking? And they're like, we're just figuring it out as we go. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, if I don't know the word for this in Spanish, I just use the Portuguese word and, and they know what I mean. And, you know, it's pretty wild yeah. since I am completely monolingual. You know, I, I know a couple of words in a couple of different languages, but that's about it. That's, you know, honestly, if you speak English, that's, that's pretty decent. Like if you were, yeah, German, French, uh, it'd be a problem. But like English, Spanish, you can you can get by pretty They're much everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, one of the reasons that I've wanted to have you on the show for so long is, you know, we basically met on Facebook, and you're yeah. super proactive on there. You're always posting, and you're super outspoken, and seem to be. Pretty much, um, I think I think you and I sort of ideologically and politically match up on a lot of things, and it's it's sort of one of these things where, oh, Olivier said it. I can just share that. I don't have to actually. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, he did it for me. All I got to do is is pass it out there. So, like, what is your um, what what is you what are you like social media wise, especially when it comes to um, politics and things like that, sort of what, it, what would you say is your, like, what are you trying to do or what are you trying to inform people about and things like that? Wow. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm trying, there, there's not really that much deliberate kind of purpose behind mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think like with, with a, a lot of people on, on Facebook or, or whatever their, their social media channel of choice may be, um, I think there's just, uh, in me anyway, there's a, uh, a need to kind of, you know, express ourselves. Vent your uh, so, so yeah, so there's, there's venting, there's, there's educating in a way there's, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little bit like a nudge, right? You, you've got like your little virtual community of, of, uh, like-minded, you know, friends and right. family, mo mostly friends, not so much family. And it's, it's like these little daily nudges of mm -hmm. like, Hey, there's a piece of information that's, I find interesting. You might find it interesting too. And, um, by, by virtue of the fact that we have these overlapping interests, mm -hmm. you have, uh, you know, some of those, some of those news topics might be political. Some of them might be, you know, business related, uh, Others might be, you know, just pretty much any any topic that that people might find interesting, mm -hmm. and you know, the occasional video of somebody tripping and falling right. in a ditch, or something. <laughs> right. yeah, for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've been having this just sort of in the last several months, kind of like, and maybe it's just my perspective is changing. I don't really know, but I suddenly social media has taken like a back seat in it was something I was constantly checking my phone. I was always checking Twitter and Facebook and this and that. And all of a sudden it was like everywhere I went, especially on Facebook, it was there, there was somebody just like not even necessarily trolls, but people just waiting to be offended yeah. And then just losing their freaking minds on you, you know? And it's like, wait, but that's, that's not what I was saying at all. I, ugh. and then you get the dog pile effect, you know? Yep. And 
Um, and I was already so exhausted by nine months of Trump in the White House <laughs> that it was just yeah. kind of like, I can't take this. I need to step aside for a little while. And, and now I'm sort of warming back and going, okay, do I dare open a newspaper? Do I dare? And now, of course, you know, the government shutdowns happening. The, you know, this whole DACA thing is, you know, um, and it's like, all right, I guess I do have to start paying attention again because it's just, it's just insane. What's yeah, and, right and you know, there's it, it's weird because on, on, on the one hand, there's just an abundance of information and news items out there, whether it's, you know, fake news, real fake news, <laughs> right. uh, you know, mildly to grossly inaccurate news or reporting uh, and, and whatever else. And so you have this, this kind of abundance of news items. And on the other hand, there's, um, there's a lot of noise, but there's very little signal. Mm -hmm. And if you watch your your cable news channel of choice whether it's you know fox news msnbc cnn mm -hmm. whatever um you're actually going to get very little um coverage of actual news it's mostly just the same two topics over and over again right. for you know 24 hours and if there was you know a mudslide somewhere or you know something going on somewhere else you're not going to hear about it yeah. unless you watch the actual you know, network like NBC News at, at 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. or whatever, uh, or the BBC or something else. So mm -hmm. it's it's really weird there, that that we have it, it's it's difficult to manage your news intake um, without without having some kind of you know online um, aggregator of of news items. Yeah. And, and if you only watch uh, news on, on, on your TV, uh, whether it's cable or network, you're, you're going to miss a lot. And, and I think one of the reasons why I, um, I, I share you know, more than just one or two news items a day is because at heart, I'm a news junkie. Mm. And you know, I studied political science in college, so it's also something I'm really interested in. I'm a policy wonk. Mm. Um, and so it's not just like out of partisan outrage or, or activism that, that I'm interested in this stuff. I'm genuinely interested in the process and, yeah. and the kind of, you know, legacy of one piece of legislation or, or one piece of political thought that might have started 200 years ago and it's ending up here now and where is it going next? Mm -hmm. um, if, if you're not really getting it from the, the news sources that you normally would, you kind of understand that other people might not be getting that information either. And so when it comes across your desk or my desk, as it were, um, I just go ahead and share it. And, and if anything, I, I don't share nearly as much as I could. Right. <laughs> uh, and and I, I follow a few accounts that um, I don't know what they do all day because it's literally, you know, 20 shares per hour yeah. uh, or more. And uh, and I know that occasionally some of those accounts get suspended because they overshare. Oversharing, yeah. Just, yeah, the the rate of uh, of content sharing is is higher than the the Facebook algorithm finds kosher. Yeah. Um, so they, they have issues, but uh, so so you kind of have to edit like which which one is important, which one's not important. Uh, and and for me throughout the day, uh, you know, maybe not every hour, but if if I had the time, it would probably be once an hour just checking on the status of the insanity yeah. 
of, of the political world that we find ourselves in these days um, is, is kind of a, a way to take a break. Like people take smoke breaks. Mm-hmm. I don't smoke. So I take uh, I take a news break. And go. usually when I do that, I end up going like, oh, wow, look at this thing. I'm going to go ahead and just click share and add my little two cents and then just kind of, you know, put it out there. That's it. So those those news breaks don't just spike your blood pressure and make you angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes they do. Um, sometimes it's an eye roll or a face palm. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's, I mean, I'm I'm becoming less angry now than I think I was, you know, maybe six months ago. But there's I think there's also a difference. Uh, you know, everything everything happens kind of like in these cycles. So you have like these up cycles and these down cycles. Um, and specifically with the Trump administration, you have you have certain policies or events or decisions or statements that make my blood boil because they have they have real world, like just serious repercussions. Yeah. And they're they're not just stupid. They happen to be just deliberately cruel mm-hmm. or vindictive. Yeah. Those generally make my blood boil more than just the sheer stupidity and ineptitude of of an administration that is not prepared <laughs> to govern and doesn't seem interested in learning. Yeah. So there's there's kind of like the clown factor and there's the villain factor. And I'm I'm more offended and, and annoyed and, and upset by the villain factor than I am by the clown factor. So yeah. that's how it happens. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And a lot of that has to do with the mood, right, of of the president or whoever has his ear that particular minute. Um, so when it's a, a character like Stephen Miller, it tends to be a little bit more vindictive than, uh, than purely, uh, inept. Uh, and then when it's just, you know, Trump or, or Steve yeah, somebody who's just doesn't have the experience and just doesn't really know enough to, to make an informed decision or, or think strategically about things. Um, then it's just kind of like, Oh, here we go again. Right. And, um, then, then we can we can loll a little bit more than, uh, <laughs> yeah. Than like a, a Muslim travel ban, for instance, is much more offensive to me than uh, than the president complaining that he can't go have his chocolate cake party because he has to stay in Washington. Yeah. For the right. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. It's like, uh, who was it that we were listening to? Well, we were listening to Randy Rhodes's podcast yesterday, but there was somebody. Um, who was, I believe, quoted as saying that whoever the last person Trump talks to before he makes a decision, that's that's the decision he makes. Is like whatever advisor he talked to, that's you know. So if he was talking to Bannon, he goes with what Bannon says. If he's talking to yeah. Hillary, he goes with what. So it's like you just want to be the last person to have his ear before he has to sign something, and he'll do. Yeah, it's it's nutballs. It's it's something that uh, that Michael Wolf says in uh, in Fire and Fury. He mentions it several times that it's you know the the way that you influence Trump is you, you can't do it from a distance. You can't do it by phone. It's like you can't talk to him three or four times a day and and expect to have you know any influence on him because it's literally you have to be there all the time. And and it, it, that's right. It's it's whoever <laughs> whoever can actually get his attention. And generally, it's whoever can get his attention just before he speaks to the press or has to sign something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's accurate. And I've I've experienced that in my professional life as well mm. with with a few people. Um, it helps to be there at the beginning, and it helps to be there at the end. You just don't want to be in the middle. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, the other one of the other things about social media too, and I I know I'm 
not saying anything that everybody doesn't know, but it's still, well, not everybody knows it clearly because I have people within sort of my sphere on social media who, um, they don't, they don't seem to understand the fact that Facebook, for example, is feeding them things that Facebook knows they're going to agree with. So they think that's the only news that's out there, right? Like if you're, if you're a, you know, I have a couple of people on my friends list that are far right. Um, you know, I, I don't even, I can, I can barely even begin to perceive, you know, like I know a guy that wants all government services of any kind, uh, to be privatized. The post <laughs> office, Firemen, police, literally everything. You ask him, well, how are you going to get the roads fixed? Oh, well, just private contractors will do it. <laughs> it's like private really? contractors already do it, but yeah, that's exactly. But, yeah. but, but, but so what? Do I hire the guy to do the, the section of the street right in front of my house and then my neighbor? Do, you know, they don't have any answers for how all of this stuff, they just don't want the government to do it but they don't have any answers and and they you know and i sit there and i go how can wait oh wait they're not seeing any of the news that i'm seeing they're only seeing what gets fed to them and they have no interest in looking outside of that and so they're just in this little bubble of their own belief systems and the people who agree with them you know yeah they're not rational belief systems either i mean i i I totally understand the the reflex to think okay so if if the government is inefficient and bad because the dmv is reputedly inefficient and bad and everything is like the dmv therefore uh by (laughs) you know privatizing everything right and making everything uh much more making people accountable because everything has to be profit focused uh, you're going to cut the fat and become much more effective and uh, and optimize systems, blah blah blah. But um, that first of all, that that assumes that a the DMV is actually as inefficient as legend has it. Right. Which, if you actually spend any time uh, at a DMV office, you'll realize that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Two, the rest of the government isn't necessarily run more inefficiently than the DMV. It really depends. Uh, it's still people. And, and three, those people are probably not working in large companies in the private sector or have not or haven't in a really long time because if they did, they would realize how inefficient they are mm. for the exact same reasons. And so it, even when you get past the policy discussions of, you know, what should the government, what is the role of government and what should we expect the government to be responsible for versus not, um, the, the notion that privatizing anything, that private enterprise version of public organizations or public agencies would be an improvement is just not based in any kind of practical reality. Yeah. And so I wonder what these people do for a living sometimes because it's um, either they're independently wor- wealthy or they haven't worked in a while or they only work in a very small business yeah. uh, where they don't, they don't actually experience those inefficiencies. Um, I, I don't know. It's I, I don't really have an answer for it because that ideology that that ideology just doesn't sync up with the reality of of the everyday world yeah. that most of us experience. 
Yeah, I mean, the one guy that I'm thinking of right now, I think for him, it, and, you know, he would, to him right now, we would sound like the grownups on the, um, the Peanuts cartoons yeah. that Charlie <laughs> Parker, right? he, like, he wouldn't even hear the words that we're saying. But I think for him, it all comes down to he doesn't like paying taxes. And, and, and you know, that actually, if, if it boils down to that, I get that. Like, I, I understand. I don't like paying taxes either. I can pretend and say, well, you know, I, I enjoy paying taxes because it's my it's the one patriotic thing I get to do. But at the same time, it's kind of like, all right, I'd like to pay fewer taxes and get more for my money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then we can get into this discussions of why does our military budget have to be so high uh, when veteran services are so inadequately funded? And why do we need to have thousands of tanks sitting in a lot somewhere just basically rusting because we have to spend the money on on this budget and just kind of like artificially prop up companies that are that are right. defense contractors um, why can't we you know take some of that budget away cut costs the way that a private company would cut costs if they were running the military yes right, um, right? and then right. assign reassign some of this funding to schools to hospitals to you know whatever not not necessarily social safety nets but some kind of, of social um, infrastructure mm-hmm. that's, uh, and, and I'm not talking about physical infrastructure like bridges, but the kind of infrastructure that will help create jobs, that'll help uh, build an informed, competitive workforce, uh, that will help us create uh, better leaders who will make better decisions, who will advance the interests of the country and make us a, a, the powerhouse that we want to be yeah. economically, culturally, and otherwise. And uh, and I don't really understand that, this kind of weird ideological bubble where we have to spend more money on the military because, and not on the soldiers, but just on equipment mm-hmm. um, and armaments. And and any any notion of well we need to spend more on education we need to spend more on healthcare we need to spend more on on things that matter equally if not more that's such an, suddenly socialism uh, right. and evil and just ridiculous I I I don't get that I know uh, it boggles the mind yeah it, and you know being a European I, I understand the the constraints of being overtaxed <laughs> yeah. I I look at um, I look at just my, my parents who, who still live in France and uh, they get a lot for their money. I mean, their their healthcare is pretty amazing. It's not perfect, but it's it's really solid. Um, and the, the social services that they get that would be privatized here that are actually just either run or at least sponsored by the government or subsidized by the government in France um, are what I'd like to have. I just think that the cost, um, you know, relative to their income, yeah. is is higher than it ought to be. I don't think anybody should ever have to pay more than 30 or 35% of their income, period. That should be an absolute cap. And, and in some cases, if you make enough money, it can get up to like 40, 50, 60, even 70% of your income. Yeah. And uh, that's just, that's absurd. That is kind of nutballs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, I completely agree. And I think this is something that doesn't get sort of enough um, airtime just in life is is this concept of, okay, um, we already have the most kick-ass military on the planet. What if, just hypothetically, 
what if we were to take, oh, 10% of that budget for a year and put it into these other areas, education, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever, and, and, and see what happened. I, I mean, it's, it's the single biggest thing that we spend our money on as far as I can tell. So yeah. let's just try and experiment and, and, but you know, it's like, nope, we need to be able to put our boot in their ass if it comes, you know, it's like, but like you said, I think we can, we can already do that. Exactly. You know, like, like you said, we've yeah. got all this, we've got all of this equipment and armament just sitting there waiting for this day. That's probably never going to come. Yeah. Um, but just to make us, you know, bleed red, white, and blue, we got to keep making more. Uh, you know, that, yeah. What's what's odd to me too is there's this this kind of conflicting sentiment of which which was part of the the enthusiasm I think with a lot of libertarians with Trump, which was that um, he was he was going to focus on America first, right? Mm. And it was kind of like this this weird isolationist like let let the rest of the world deal with their own problems, right? We don't really want to mess with NATO anymore. We're going to cut spending with NATO. We don't really want to. We don't like the UN because they tell us what to do. We don't like anyone telling us what to do. So we're not going to do anything with the UN. We're going to focus on us and our borders, and everything is just going to kind of shrink to U.S. interests. And so, if you do that, that that's actually a path to spending less on defense mm. and cutting costs. And the the you know the the CEO business minded president who's going to come in and and cut costs and balance the budget right. should look at this and go, okay, so we're going to build this, this wall, however stupid or smart it may be <laughs> as an idea, right. but we're going to change our policy. We're, we're, we're calling everything back. Um, and it's an opportunity to spend less, to shrink their government, which is what libertarians and, and far right wing people should want. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll, we'll kind of like resize and, and, and rework our, our military budget to meet these new America first objectives. And what we're seeing is the exact opposite, where the policy actually shrinks in terms of U.S. influence in the world. We're still somehow getting excited about spending more on our military budget. And I'm, I'm not understanding that disconnect. I'm, I'm not understanding how real hardcore libertarians who want to pay fewer taxes and want to shrink their government can simultaneously look at more spending on, on defense and go – rah, rah, this is what we want. Right. Um, that, it's, it's illogical to me. I, I can't wrap my mind around how they can reconcile those two opposite views. I think, I honestly think some of them don't consider that their taxes go to that in a weird way. It's like, <laughs> like they only what? think their taxes go to Social Security and paying for people that are on the dole and you know, people's poor, you know, people that are gaming the systems, medical and sh like, I honestly think some of these folks, um, they, they honestly don't know where their tax money goes. I, th I think they really just think that it goes to entitlement programs <laughs> and the rest yeah, of it's, it's just it's money possible. that the government has. Right. You know, the government and, and I've, has I've heard a, another argument, too, which is that um, and it, this is like for the those who think that everything should be based on, you know, the, the period between like 1776 and 1779, basically. <laughs> and then like no laws that have come since then are, are you know, relevant in, in any way. And so essentially what, what I've heard some people say, and, and I haven't bothered to check if it's even true because it's completely irrelevant, but the their contention is that the federal government 
should be able to levy taxes specifically for the purpose of paying for the military and nothing else. And really? so that's how they excuse that it's it's kind of like we don't care about the military budget because that's actually legal, something that we've the federal government should be allowed to do. But for everything else, it should be up to the states. There should be no federal government outside of the military. Right. But, yeah. I some I always forget about the states' rights thing that they yeah. throw in there. Right. Yeah. And everything should be even even for for some of them, even the states are are you know, too, too big of a, a bureaucracy. They want everything to be managed at the county level so yeah. that you can have a state like a governor and a state administration, but ultimately the, the, the political power should be at the county level and the county sheriff should be the, the highest elected officer of the land yeah. with, with absolute power. And uh, that's what the, the Bundy Ranch people, I think, believe in and advocate. And, uh, and these kind of like sovereign citizen movements. Right. That uh, that will allow for the county sheriff to have, you know, kind of power over them, only if that county sheriff agrees with them and follows their policies and their <laughs> exactly. commands. So the, yeah, the moment that the the county sheriff happens to be, you know, black or right. socialist or whatever, uh, something other than you know their their own kin, right. um, then suddenly you have to rebel against then that. It's and it's coup d'état time. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that that reminds me of when the whole defunding of Planned Parenthood thing was coming around. And I would I'd be talking to people and they'd be going, well, you know, if your community wants a clinic like that, then just open one in your neighborhood. And it's like, well, but if everybody in the neighborhood thinks like you, they're not going to let us open this clinic because yeah. that's why it needs to be subsidized. You know, yeah. and it's like, oh, no, if the if the market, if there's a market for it, it'll succeed. And that that's that's what they believe. Everything works that way that, you know, if uh, uh, supply and demand or whatever, you know, and it's like, yep. no, um, that's why we now have STDs coming back at an alarming rate. And, you know, thanks to the anti-vaxxers, you know, measles and whooping cough are coming back and, you know. All, all of these things because, yes, no, we need some of these structures in place to educate yeah. people and, and, and to help the people who need it. And, um, and, and the, the fact that, you know, and most of these folks, too, the ones I know anyway, are about a paycheck and a half away from needing those services themselves. That's right. You know? Yeah. But it, it's... <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. There's there's a, a, a really weird mix of stupidity, ignorance, and denial um, in there. But yeah, I, I never really – one of the things that perplexes me – and I, I live in the South, right? I'm in South Carolina. So um, certain parts of the state, I, I ride my bike or I drive my car, and it's, it's Confederate flags everywhere. Yeah. And um, one thing that surprises me about it is when I see a pickup truck with you know flying giant flags in, in the bed, Right, and you'll have a Confederate flag right next to an actual U.S. flag, yeah, side by, flying side by side. And I'm like, all right, I know. like obviously there's some confusion here because <laughs> yeah. um, these are two completely different countries, right? Uh, or or notions of countries anyway. One is is the United States, and the other one is the the Confederacy, which is the antithesis of the United States. So it, it's kind of like flying a Nazi flag next to a like a Israeli Star flag, of David or something. Right? Yeah. It's, you're right. It's yeah. it's like you. You literally cannot be both. And so even in their arguments when 
when I hear people, you know, who fly the flag and say they bleed red, white, and blue and stars and stripes and they have like eagles on their, you know, Facebook profiles and everything right. is super patriotic. And at the same time, they're like, I hate the federal government and it should be up to states' rights. Right. It's kind of like, no, that, no, you can't. <laughs> Either you're a patriot and you love the United States and, and you believe in what this country stands for and how it's what it's trying to be, or you're for the Confederacy and states' rights and basically the the erosion of everything America stands for. Yeah. You're you're a, a Texan, you're not an American. And right. the the only way to be both a Texan or a South Carolinian and an American is to recognize that there is a place for the federal government to, to do things. There's there's a place, there's a role to be played by the FDA, by the EPA, by by all of these agencies and, and, and this cooperation between the federal government and state governments and local governments, all working in unison to kind of, you know, create economies of scale and, uh, you know, help communities that need help and uh, provide assistance and support and avenues of success for communities that are a little bit more um, independent. And it, it, it just, it boggles my mind that, um, that the hatred for the, the, the hatred and distru distrust for the federal government um, happens to live side by side with this kind of ultra patriotic mm -hmm. identity politic, um, even though they are completely incompatible. And, and, and I like at, at least with with the the sovereign citizen movements and the ultra libertarians who just hate paying taxes and hate the federal government and just want to do their own thing. At least with them, I understand uh, they're just antisocial and they want right. to you know create their own weird like universe of uh, of privatization of, of everything. Um, but for for the vast majority of, of people who consider themselves conservatives. I don't understand the disconnect. I, I it, it it just doesn't make sense to me that they can hold these two thoughts in their minds and not see how incompatible they are. Uh, and I don't know if it's a, a just pure ideological kind of rigidity or if it's just I, I, I don't know, like a, a an intellectual flaw, some kind of like weird cognitive disorder mm -hmm. that you know that lures them to these extreme political views, but um, it's it's not even logical as as a political position, and yeah. I, I have I have a hard time dealing with that. Yeah, it, I mean I know at least some of those folks don't they literally don't recognize or don't understand that they're too absolute. I mean, a lot of people I know in in Virginia um, for sure, um, North Carolina as well, and I assume South Carolina. Most of sort of that part of the country in 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 to a certain extent the former confederate states um they're they're not given an accurate portrayal of the confederacy or of the civil war or um you know they all they know is that we're proud of it and we need the stars and bars to fly over the capital um because it's our history but they're not given the details of 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 it all it's just how it is to them right you know well, and you know, i, I think understand it's not really... wanting to be the bad guy right I, I get that yeah like you know we lost we were the bad guys we were like pro-slavery okay I, I understand the denial on the the 
reflex to say, no, not us. That's not what we fought for. Um, but at, at some point, like even the Germans, right? The Germans aren't still flying the swastika right. everywhere and the Nazi flag saying, no, we were actually like, we were only following orders. Right. We were defending the homeland. We weren't all like Jew haters. Um, you know, it, there's, there's a point where you go like, all right, I have, I'm not pro-slavery. Um, my, my great grandpappy probably wasn't pro-slavery. We didn't, of course, nobody owned any slaves ever. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, it's always like somebody else, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, nobody benefited from this, um, even though they still want segregated schools. And yeah, I'm not pro-slavery, but I'm pro-segregation. Right. Um, but there's, I, I understand intensity, but, but at some point you kind of have to say like, yeah, okay, <clears throat> we were on the wrong side of this for whatever the reasons may have been. Um, and it, it doesn't take anything away from, you know, the courage of the people who fought on the side of the Confederacy, their bravery, their, you know, their, their super like ability as soldiers, whatever. Like mm. there were heroes on both sides. There were assholes on both sides, whatever. Right. right. Uh, but generally speaking, you should be able to take a step back and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I respect the, the Confederate flag because it's a historical thing. It's part of my family and my local heritage, whatever, as part of the culture, let's honor it. Um, but I'm American first, mm -hmm. right? And whatever stupid war we fought over this crap 150 years ago doesn't really apply to me today. Yeah. Um, I, I can't think of any other country where people still fly. Like, I mean, it's, you don't have people in, in Europe flying the, the flag of like the Protestants you know, right. from like 400 years ago and, and wanting to just rehash the, the burning of witches and the, the Spanish Inquisition. Right. It's, I'm, I'm I, I, on a daily basis, I am just blown away by how people will cling to this. Yeah. Um, and to this imaginary kind of, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's a pride that should be kind of like on the back burner. It's something that happened a long time ago that you had nothing to deal with, to do with. Yeah. It's, Leave it in the past where it belongs. I don't understand why it has to be rehashed every damn day, and it's part of your identity that you're that the South will rise again, yeah. and you're going to you know fight a civil war against your own government. I need to see um, that statue of Robert E. Lee every day <laughs> on my way to work. Right, and then and then at the same time say like, yeah, I'm I'm pro America. America's number one. It's like no, it's two <laughs> seconds ago you were you know fantasizing about waging war against the, your own government. Right. You're you're like yeah, come take my guns, and you'll see what happens. It's, you cannot be both. I, I don't, I know I, I sound like a broken record, yeah, but no, it's, I, it's something that just doesn't make any sense to me. It's uh, and it's all part of the same kind of construct. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember during the whole Charlottesville thing and, and, you know, the, the statues coming down and all of that, there was a, a, a piece that I read somewhere and it came from actually the, however many great we're at at this point, um, grandson of Robert E. Lee. Um, and I believe he's even his namesake. I think his name's Robert yeah. E. Lee, the fifth or whatever. But, um, you know, one, when, uh, you know, after the war, Lee was like, oh, all right, well, that didn't go the way we wanted to. They won. We're, you know, we're a country again. And whatever he, you might know this, he became president of a college. I can't remember which one. But um, he would not allow them to fly the Confederate flag at this college. He's like, yeah. no, that's over. And when yeah. he died, he 
specifically said, do not bury me in my uniform. You know, that is past. We lost. We were on the wrong side of history here. We'll move on. And yeah. here we are, hundred some odd years later, and they're still carrying the torch, pun, no pun intended. You know? Well, you, you know, we, we've, we've learned, if anything, which was kind of interesting because I didn't know this until the, uh, the Charlottesville uh, events and, and we, the, start, the statues started coming down. I didn't realize this, but the, I, I always assumed that the Confederate monuments and Confederate flags have been flying since pretty much Reconstruction. Right. Maybe not immediately after yeah. they lost the war. But at some point, you know, when when the federal troops started kind of retreating and going home, um, that the South started like putting their flags up and saying, yeah, you know, you know whatever. Right. Um, yeah, that's what they and, wanted and, us to think. Yeah, that's not the case. In some cases, that's true. But in most cases, the vast majority, they, they didn't start popping up until uh, – until white folks decided that that black folks were getting a little too uppity, mm-hmm. and uh, and they needed to be quashed and reminded of where they were. Yeah, sort of like post World yeah. War Two, even right. Yeah. yeah, most. Yeah, it was. There were like two periods. One was in the, I think during the mid twenties and and thirties, uh, when uh, <laughs> when when the KKK started kind of you know being the law uh, yeah. again and and causing trouble. And then again, yeah, during the civil rights era, I just kind of. Um, Things started to flare again, and, and those monuments and flags started popping up everywhere uh, at a higher rate than they had before. So it's it's not even I, I could almost understand the frustration of you know Confederate aficionados uh, if those statues had been there from the start. Right. If, right. If they really had honored the fallen and the cause of the Confederacy, whatever, and and that was a historical thing. But we know for a fact that that's not the case. It's it's become kind of a Trojan horse for, uh, you know, white nationalism and, and, and racist, uh, you know, policymakers and, and movements to kind of, you know, quash the black vote and, and yeah. uh, make black people feel uh, that they're, they're under a, a white boot where they belong. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, and for that alone, I think uh, people should, even people who are proponents and, and fans of the flag and the monuments, should should take pause and say, look, yeah, it's this is not the context that we want these monuments and, and these flags uh, to be revered uh, in, and, yeah. uh, and and we need to find a more appropriate place of of an appropriate way of doing it. Uh, and I, I wouldn't if if I were serious about this is just about the Confederacy and states' rights and freedoms and honoring my great grandpappy. Um, I wouldn't want any of these symbols to be marred by the shadow of racism and and um, and white supremacy. I, I would want them to be isolated and and insulated from this yeah. this negative stuff. And the fact that it's not, and that every time people show up to defend uh, defend these monuments and these flags, they happen to be uh, you know white supremacists <laughs> and you know guys you know tiki torches and and screaming you know end this go home go back to africa tells me that um the whole line of this is really about just honoring the uh the civil war dead is is just bunk um yeah that's a few people show up for that maybe but the vast majority show up for something completely different and uh invalidates the whole argument yep so true Uh, you know it's like um it's a little bit tangential but uh, last year, we watched um, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. Are you familiar with that documentary? 
Nope. Um, Greg Pallast, I believe, is the guy's name. Um, he's a investigative journalist. He's done pieces for the BBC, Rolling Stone, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he actually filmed this thing during the run-up and the election in 2016. So it's not like Monday morning quarterbacking. It's He's reporting on what was actually happening during the election. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's, it shows you how sort of partially because of this 24-hour news cycle that we were talking about earlier where they don't really talk about more than a couple of the same things rehashed over and over again all day. Um, like the whole voter ID thing, right? When I first heard about that, I was like, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with making sure people have an ID? That that seems reasonable. You go to the DMV and you get, you know, even if you don't get a driver's license, you get a state ID card and then you yeah. can, you know, what's the big deal? And it's like, oh, yeah, they closed 35 DMVs in the state of Georgia or Alabama or whichever, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, we're going to make it, we're going to make it uh, mandatory that you have a state issued ID. And then in all of the poorest and blackest counties in the state, we're going to close down the DMVs. Yeah. And that part I never heard until I saw this movie, you know? And it's like, well, shit, I wish I'd known that part three years ago when they were first talking about this, you know? And yeah. Yeah. We have, we have a bit of an education problem. I mean, there's education's always tough. No country gets it right. But uh, that I know of anyway. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it, it seems odd to me that, that a country like the United States, which is kind of like the, the you know, USA number one, right. has such an inefficient, just horrible K-12 through um, system that doesn't even teach the basics of history, civics um, to, uh, to kids. And, and I've, you know, the international school system that I, that I went through from eighth grade on, I had social studies. I, I learned some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was the social studies part of it was really kind of a part of an American curriculum. We only really focused on U.S. social studies. It wasn't, you know, like Britain or Scandinavia or Europe in general. It was just purely American. Um, I, I, I find it hard to believe and hard to understand that for 12 years of your life, where you learn about history and you learn about, you know, just everything. Mm-hmm. There isn't a moment when you when you learn accurate information <laughs> about you know things that actually matter, like yeah. how to vote, why we vote. Um, it's 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 difficult for me to fathom that, and I, I have a hard time also understanding why some people appear to come out of high school knowing this stuff, understanding mm-hmm. it fairly well, and others don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't know, having not, you know, grown up in the system, having not experienced, um, the, uh, the U S, uh, educational system, K through 12 anyway, mm-hmm. uh, except through my, my own kids, uh, who were, uh, who don't really count because they were heavily influenced by a household of people who kind of, you know, know this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what they learn in school and what they learn from us. Right. Uh, right. It, it, it's hard for me to understand how, uh, and it's not calling you ignorant. It's just it's there's there's somehow along the way there's a failure to educate. Oh, completely. Uh, and, and I don't understand it because it's I, it can't just be all math and science for twelve years. Yeah, it's not yeah. possible. No, I've learned yeah, I've more 
self-educating myself than I ever learned in school. I mean, I graduated a year and a half early from high school just by taking a test. Yeah. You know, it was just California State High School Proficiency Exam. Take it. You have to be 16. And if you pass it, it's basically the finals that you're going to take when you're end of your senior year. And if you can pass it, you get a diploma. It's not even a GED. It's a full-fledged diploma. And I... I went in and I mean, part of the reason I did it was I was like, they have not taught me anything new since I was in sixth grade. Literally, it's just rehashing the same shit over and over again. And um, I, you know, so I was bored. I was cutting class all the time. I just wasn't going to school. And it's like, found out I could take this test. My mom gave me permission to take it. And so I did, and I got out, and I started working, you know, at 17. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you're absolutely right that the education system, the public education system anyway, in this country is just, it's a joke. You know, especially when you see some of these um, exposés on, like, education systems in Scandinavia and, and mm-hmm. places like that where, I mean... It's mind-boggling how, how completely different it is, and the kids love going to school, and they're, you know... I mean, how come we don't teach here how to balance a checkbook, for example? Yeah, you well, I, I wasn't taught that in, in school either. I, I remember vividly the day that we, um, we learned how to, um, how to write a check. Mm. So it was, uh, we were learning simultaneously. It was, it was writing a check, the Canterbury Tales, because it was an English class for some reason, ah. and, um, and Animal Farm. It was, and Lord of the Flies. So it was kind of like, that was the curriculum for that quarter, I think, or semester. Um, and so it was kind of like, yeah, you write the date, you write the amounts and numbers, you write, the, you write it out. You, you know, there was like something about crossing like double lines over something, something that nobody knows how to do anymore because you don't have to. Right. Um, and that, that was it. There was no, um, I guess home ec, yeah. right? Well, did that, they tell you I think you that was a class here. The money in first. And then when you write the piece of paper, the money comes out or was it yeah. just here's, if you need something here, fill out this piece of paper, and, you know, um, you know, there's, there was an old bumper sticker years ago. I can't be overdrawn. I still have some checks left. You know, and I think that's how I think that's how a lot of people really look at it or did anyway. Right. I mean, I don't know that kids now even know how to how to write a check. Yeah, but. I don't. I mean, not that they would like necessarily need to, but right. at least, yeah, balance your finances, understand how credit works. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there are a lot of kind of uh, because we live in, in such a, a bureaucracy heavy world, uh, not just a country, but just in general, no matter where you live. Mm-hmm. There are things that you need to to know how to do, which is, you know, how to how to get your driver's license, how to get a birth certificate, how to apply for a loan, how to, you know, do all these things. And um, you would think that somewhere along the way, um, there would be a class or, or part of the curriculum would mm-hmm. kind of help kids learn how to be good citizen. And that also includes how to vote. Uh, how to yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah, vet absolutely. information properly so they can kind of, you know, critically look at, uh, a, you know, information or a source of information and go, eh, that sounds a little off. Let me, let me use the skills I learned in class to do a little bit of research on the Google 
or an encyclopedia or somewhere and and go verify that what I've heard is actually accurate. Um, Those are, and and especially we're finding out now, is those are skills that uh, are just critical to the health of our democracy, to our political, social, economic system. If if you don't equip people to make good decisions, you equip them to to push for people who will drive bad decisions. <laughs> it's we're we're learning in the in the last you know 368 year or days anyway um, that uh, that can have some some really dire consequences. And I think we've only scratched the surface of yeah. uh, of how bad things can get. Yeah, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's it's I don't know. I mean, that's uh, honestly why I've been avoiding the news for a while. <laughs> it just got to the point where I felt like my head was going to explode from all well, they, of the... Yeah. Be, people being entrenched in, in... Like, I mean, I have my beliefs, but it's... I'm, I'm not... And, I, and I'm pretty militant about them, I guess, but I'm not a zealot about them. Like, I've, I've had my word. mind changed by facts, you know, fairly recently. Uh, for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was I was 100% into the whole, um, uh, you know, GMOs kill bees mm-hmm. kind of narrative. So a, a familiar trope on alternate, uh, not, not that alternate is all bad, but there's, you know, alternate is a little bit like kind of info wars on, on the left for, for some things. Right. Um, there's, there's, you know, I, I, I totally understand that crystals are great, uh, and being <laughs> vegan is fantastic, but there's, you know, little moderation in, in all things yeah, goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so uh, because of the preponderance of, of articles that I'd read that I'd been kind of come in contact with over the years, I really did believe that GMOs were just terrible things mm-hmm. uh, uh, and that they were killing bees and uh, setting off this chain reaction. And so Monsanto was evil because blah. Right. right. And uh, a, a friend of mine whom, whom I respect um, pointed out that no, I was an, an idiot. He, well, he didn't call me an idiot, but uh, told me that I was incorrect, and uh, and provided me with some you know kind of unbiased articles and information about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I even went so far. Somebody saw that I was you know having this discussion. Somebody put me in touch with um, with some companies, some biotechs that actually work with GMOs, and and they were like, look, you know, we'll invite you to our operations and you can see for yourself what we're talking about and uh and so i educated myself i used this opportunity to educate myself and to allow them to kind of you know feed me their propaganda yeah while i was there and so i was you know i showed up i'm the guy at at, at the back in the back of the room with my arms crossed going yeah okay keep talking right yeah. like completely i walked in there you are not going to convince me right. everything that you say is marketing and propaganda but then I talked to scientists, not just PR people. Uh, I watched how they actually, um, you know, worked with like little razor blades and just you know cutting into plants and and you know how the whole process of of developing GMOs in, in agriculture worked and the pro- the legal process of approvals and FDA, EPA, basically all the the safety measures that are in place to make sure that um, the GMOs that are actually that, that may not be safe, don't get into the food supply and, and how, you know, to manage environmentally, like the, the types of challenges that some GMOs might pose. Mm-hmm. And, and what I learned in the end is that I was, in fact, wrong about it all. Uh, I, I had bought into a, a program of negative 
kind of propaganda and hysteria about GMOs. And that um, actually the GMOs are not the problem. Um, the problem is more with the pesticides and insecticides that are sprayed on the GMOs or injected into the GMOs right. um, that can sometimes affect the bees and, and, and have other, other issues. But the GMOs themselves weren't like a franken food. They weren't causing cancer. They weren't bad for the bees. All of that aspect of, of my belief system was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so all of this to say that on the one hand, yes, GMOs are not as bad as people claim they are, not for the reasons that they think. Um, but I can be swayed. Like my, my, hard, my hardcore beliefs and, and things that I took for granted that I absolutely believe for years and years and years can, um, can be altered by the injection of, of verifiable facts. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I, I don't understand when, um, when people who, like me, firmly believe something because they've heard it their entire lives and they have no reason to question it, when they're faced with you know, or presented with facts uh, that are easy to understand and kind of you know, easy to verify, don't have the same reaction, which is, oh, shit, I was wrong. Um, okay, I, I need to kind of like be more careful next time. Right. And it's not like that. It's, it's kind of like, no, I'm going to believe what I believe. And everything that you throw at me is basically negative propaganda and fake news. Um, that kind of artificial insulation uh, from reality is, uh, I understand it as a defense mechanism, but at some point it, it just becomes, it's, it's delusional. Like you, you have to lie there awake at night and, and realize that, um, that the things that you, you make a point to believe in knowing that they're false are still false. Yeah. Whether yeah. there's, there's, you know, if Facebook shuts down tomorrow and you don't have to justify your beliefs to anybody, do you still hold on to those positions mm -hmm. or do you in in your heart of hearts accept that yeah i'm, I'm basically pushing policies and, and ideologies that i know for a fact are fraudulent um yeah i, I mean yeah. it's it, it that's, that's where so much of the faith-based politics comes <laughs> from right you know it's like this is my truth what comes from this book that has been hammered into my head every sunday and every night around the dinner table. Um, and I just, I, it, it's my identity. So I can't, the idea that I'm descended from an ape, I can never, you know, or evolution is a thing or the earth isn't flat or whatever sort of faith-based, uh, well, the earth, the earth is flat though. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a dome. There's a, I heard there's an ice wall. That's what I've heard. There's an there's ice an ice wall. wall. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw a great meme a couple days ago that was a Photoshop of a an astronaut on a on a spacewalk who was like taking a selfie of the Earth behind him, and it looked like a it looked like a bowl with yeah. a, with a flat top on it, and that was the whole map was just this flat, right. and it was like it was a hilarious proof of flat Earth. You know, great. It's like, right. oh yeah, every single film and photograph we've seen from space, they're all been photoshopped to make That's it right. look like a globe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, basically, yes. If you see a, a selfie from an astronaut in, in, you know, floating around the ISS, it's photoshopped. It's it's, it's fiction. Right. No. Okay. So you, you might not know this, but I've been trolling um, a flat Earth discussion. Group oh, really? For the better part of a year now. Yeah. So initially. Um, 
Yeah, it, initially it was kind of fun, but I realized, and it's been a really interesting exercise. I, I go on there, and we're there's a bunch of us who do this. We'll go on there and pose as really dumb flat earthers. Ah. And so whenever somebody posts something that's you know pro flat earth, anti globe earth, we're there. There's some key like checkmate, like hashtag checkmate is a popular trope mm. of, of flat earthers. Um, we'll say some really uh, obviously dumb comments. To get and, them to school you on it, yeah. Basically. To get the uh, the the globe, the globe earthers to kind of respond. And um, what's what I found find really interesting is that by pretending to be a flat earther and playing in that role and challenging globe earthers to um, to prove me wrong or to reason with me or show me that no, I'm an idiot for thinking the Earth is flat. There's obviously plenty of evidence that the Earth is not flat. Mm-hmm. What I find is that. They are just as aggressive, rude, and ineffective mm-hmm. at making their point, even though they're right. They're 100% right. Yes, right. of course, the earth is a ball. Um, they cannot make the argument for it. It's, right. it, it's, it's just insults, name calling. It's aggression. And... It's memes. It's, yep. and, and when you actually challenge them on certain points, like you know, prove that gravity is real or you know, prove that this isn't Photoshop, they're incapable of doing it. Mm-hmm. And so what, what you start to wonder is – It's just as much right, faith. Yeah, they, they have they have science on their side, but they're incapable of actually, you know, articulating um, the reason why they believe what they believe. Other than that's just what they believe in. It's their it's their camp. It's that this is totally. their ideology. Totally. And that's um, that's kind of weird. Uh, and we've we've had <laughs> chats about this. The the other you know flat Earth trolls, trolls and I, um, we we've had these 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 discussions that the the globe earthers. Um, remind us in the way they behave sometimes of the most kind of virulent, you know, teabaggers. Yeah. Uh, and on the other side, even the, the, the Sanders, like the super hardcore Sanders people, mm-hmm. um, whenever you hit those extremes, it's just, it's all about defending your position and just, you know, hammering at whoever is against you. Yeah. And there's, there's no place for discussion. There's no place for education, for discourse, for debate. It's just... It's fisticuffs immediately, yeah. um, and no, no, uh, no desire to learn or to explain or to kind of you know educate yourself on a topic that um, you've decided you, you've taken a position on completely. for whatever reason. Completely. I mean, I often joke with Wendy, call myself the man without a country because I'll walk into uh, a thread on Facebook that's written by you know one of the people that I know that's on the far right, and and not only try and make my valid point, but also let them know that I'm hearing what they're saying. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It's just venom and vitriol and name calling. But then the exact same thing happens to me when I talk to people on the left and I just question one thing or possibly, God forbid, maybe correct them on something. Oh God. And then the well, you know, there's there's tone, right? So, I mean, I can I can seem harsh when I when I debate, and and I'm I'm French, so we, it's not like even that we get like heated. It's just you know we have a direct way of of you know dealing with with dissent or, or you know you know opposite opinions. Yeah. Um, on on the one hand, if somebody's kind of like you know being too witty they might actually not have that much respect for you. They're just trying to not only prove you wrong, but make, make you look like an ass. Right. On, on kind of like this, it's a, it's a Latin thing, and, and French are 
fall into that group. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but if if you're direct and say no, you're wrong, and here's why. It sometimes for us anyway seems harsh. Like why is this guy jumping down my throat? But it's just kind of like you know these are the facts. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but Americans are much more, and, and it's odd because you're you tend to be in general, not you, but just Americans. Yeah. Um, tend to be a little bit more aggressive right out of the gate, <clears throat> but at the same time are much more easily offended yes. by aggression. And so you take it more personally. Like with the French, it's kind of like, okay, this guy's like kind of, you know, agreeing and he's being a little harsh, move on. Um, here it's like, whoa, like why are you jumping like, you know, yeah, and then are you jumping on this? Pile like, on too. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like a feeding frenzy sometimes, you know, yeah. and it's like, wow, I had no idea this was coming my way. You know, it's like, okay, I'm out. I'll just move along over here, you know. Which is not necessarily a bad idea, right? I mean, Well, it's clearly the best thing for your own sanity, right? Instead of just beating your head against that wall. You know, I mean, it took me a while to learn that, but I'm getting there. You know, and you're it's 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 unusual that you're going to convince anybody of anything. Almost, um, almost never. I mean, you and I. I mean, your description of of the GMOs and the and the bee killing the bees thing is, I I I have several similar stories that I could tell you where there was something I was convinced of, or at least very strongly believed, and either through my own independent investigation or through talking to people who are smarter about it and more educated about it than I am, my mind was changed. And, you know, I think this goes to, you know, uh, you know, when John Kerry was accused of flip flopping and, and all of this kind of stuff, it's like, what's wrong with changing your mind based on new evidence? Since when is that a bad thing? But it's a weakness now. You know, and it's like, mm, no, I, I, I just learned something. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's kind of like, wait, no, I was, if I was wrong, uh, all right. Yeah. And, and now I'm, I don't want to be wrong anymore because somebody showed me that I was, and it's kind of embarrassing that I was wrong for like three, four, 20 years. Right. Uh, I, I want to be better and make better decisions now. So yeah, I'm going to change my position on something. I, I find that to be uh, to be a, a good thing. Um, I heard similar things about uh, Hillary Clinton that you know, 20 years ago she was a racist or whatever. It's like, right. yeah, that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, well, 25 years ago I was a Republican. <laughs> and, yeah, right. Yeah. So when when Papa Bush, the the original George Bush, became president, I thought it was a great choice. But yeah, you know, like you know, former director of the CIA, this guy really knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually going to be an improvement from Reagan because he really has like actual experience and he's going to be able to do a better job. And turns out that he just wasn't into it. He was a guy who was uh, who would have been good at a lot of different jobs in the government. The president probably wasn't going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would have made a great senator. He might have made a great uh, secretary of state. Tons of stuff. Just not everybody's cut out to be president. Um, and you know, when, when Clinton won, I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, this, I just like, he's just like this salesman. He plays the saxophone and everybody loves him. <laughs> right. Um, and he did some great things and he did some things with that, that weren't like so great, but it, it took me a while to become, uh, I guess a Democrat or to be, to find myself more aligned with, um, with liberal policies. And I think what did it was the, the Monica Lewinsky thing and the, 
you know, fake outrage of, right. you know, Christian conservatives over this stuff when they were totally fine when Republicans did it. Yeah. And it's, it's that kind of, you know, nonsense um, over a consensual, however inappropriate it may have been. Exactly. Uh, you know, a, a affair between the president and one of the staffers uh, and having kind of backed him into a wall where he had to perjure himself yeah. uh, over it. Which I found completely absurd, and and uh, and by that point I was becoming much more aware of the racist and kind of you know uh, xenophobic and and anti civil rights attitudes of of uh, the Republican Party. So uh, so I, I I shifted, and one day I woke up, and I didn't I don't feel like I moved. I thought that I just kind of like realized that you know I had been wrong to back this horse and part of it was my upbringing and my surroundings and everything else um but i understand that evolution in other people because i've experienced it myself yeah and uh and i'm still very hardcore on some liberal issues and very not hardcore on some liberal issues where i'll, I'll side with republicans or i'm much more centrist mm -hmm. um so i can i'm very excited by some of the stuff that uh, that bernie sanders was preaching in 2015 and then 2016 came along, and I was like, ah, no, this guy's actually not what I thought it was, what yeah. he was. And, um, and I found myself moving back towards the center a little bit. So, so I understand this fluctuation, um, and I, I, I don't think it's a strength, but it's definitely not a weakness. Um, I think it's, it's just a natural adult behavior to kind right. of – you're not adrift and, and, and rudderless in, in your moral – kind of ecosystem you're just kind of you know you're, you're trying to stay the course and and trying to find the right course and sometimes things happen to make you kind of move left or right or or, or change your position yeah. and uh, and if you never changed your position um i would i would assume that that's a character flaw it's like somebody who's never wrong somebody who uh, never wants to admit that they're wrong that's not that's not what adulting is exactly Well, we're hitting well, was right this, now. Was this thing all recorded, or were we oh, like, yeah. was yep. this it? Yep, this is all things been recorded. Yep, I was oh, just okay. going to say. Right. I didn't know if this was like the the really long prelim. <laughs> oh no, no, I just didn't. I figured we'd just jump into it, and I'll in post production, okay. I'll put an intro in and explain who you are and and that okay. kind of stuff. Um, I I much prefer stuff like this to be more of just a conversation than an interview yeah. or 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 you know, or anything like it just, it feels better to me. I think it's more fun to listen to when it's just yeah. a conversation rather than somebody hitting their bullet points and then saying goodbye. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. It, you know, I hope you had a good time. We're at about, an yeah, hour I did. 10 yeah. Right now. Yeah. It, it didn't um, feel like an interview. Yeah. It, that's yeah. kind of the idea. And, uh, and people, people seem to like it. You know, I haven't done, you know, we're, we're ramping up for 2018 haven't done an episode and god i don't even want to think about how long so you're going to be our first first one for the new year and Excellent. um and i'll let you know when it's you know when it's ready it should be uh, i gotta work for a couple of days but yeah we'll tag you on facebook i'll hit you up on uh yeah. on messenger and let you know when it's coming and um you know i'll go in i know you have links on your facebook to like your different social medias and stuff and i'll tag you and all of that kind of stuff on the website and in the show notes and all that kind of stuff and hopefully we can do it again maybe we'll actually pick a topic 
<laughs> next time where like right. like really yeah, stream, like, political streams of consciousness with Olivier yeah exactly we'll yeah. really drill down on some of this stuff could be a lot of fun I think yeah All well right. cool good well thank you thank you so much for uh, for having me on uh, on the show yeah thank you for taking the time I've been looking forward to it and I had a great time awesome and yeah let's uh, let's do this again sometime okay I'm gonna hold you to All right. it all right, see you on Facebook. You bet. Take care. All right, take care, man. Bye-bye. Yeah, go listen to The Life of Raleigh. His last episode is gold. Oh, good. Hmm.